Chain Slang here on Maximum FM Hip Hop. As always, you're listening at 9 p.m. on Monday 
And not as always, I'm alone this week. Kills is not with me, but I'm not alone at the same time because I have a guest, of course. I have New York-based rapper Billy Woods with me. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Canada. <laughs> is this your first time being on Canadian radio? One would imagine, yes. I think so. Well, we do things a little differently around here. Do I get paid for this? No. That's, that's the differently thing. I vaguely thought that might be possible with Canada. You never know. So we're here to talk about a bunch of things. And, you know, because the show's an hour, I'm sure we'll stray into many topics. But I wanted to start out by talking about your new album, Known Unknowns, which is uh, dropping on June 9th, um, which is very soon. Um, and this is your, I was trying to determine, either fifth or sixth studio album as a solo artist. Um, so let's talk about that album. I mean, my first question really is, what does known unknowns mean in the context of this project? Um, well, uh, so it's, the album is with Blockhead, and he and I did a record called Dower Candy before. Um, and the difference this time is uh, Aesop Rock did a couple beats on this project, mm -hmm. so that was cool. Um, anyway, uh as far as the title, I guess it's, uh, I, I came to understand, um, the thinking from which it comes is a Donald Rumsfeld quote that, uh, he gave that was roundly mocked at the time about the decision to invade Iraq. And I remember hearing it and it's funny because what he says seems like a bunch of convoluted speech trying to avoid a point, which it kind of is, but it's also a true idea, just thinking about, uh, so a known unknown is something that you know that you don't know, as opposed to an unknown unknown, which is something that you don't know that you don't know. Right. So yeah. why did you title your album that? Uh, oh yeah, that would be the point. Um, well, I guess I was thinking... In a lot of ways, A, uh, being at a point in your life where you could sort of quantify what the known, and, or, you know, I guess you're always at a point in your life where you could quantify those things, but maybe you think about them more at other points in your life. Um, I also thought in some ways, on a lesser level, it sort of is indicative in a more literal, literal sense of where I am as an artist, you know. Um, people who know who you are know who you are, but nobody actually knows who you are. Right. Um, and uh, I don't know, there's some other aspects to it that maybe people would dig up or whatever, but yeah, those, that was the main thinking. Um. I think touching what you said about it being a Donald Rumsfeld sort of reference is really interesting to me because um, something I've been thinking about a lot in general and uh, especially with, um, you know, albums that are coming out right now, I'm presuming this album was written before Trump was elected. Yeah. Um, how would you say the sort of like mood of that time, that period of time um, is reflected in this album? And like kind of as a follow-up, how does it feel to be like making art in this sort of what people would say a dark time? Um, 
I don't, I guess, uh, I would say that, um, some of this was written during the election, um, or during the campaign, basically. So there are elements to what would eventually become where we are now in the record, I think, but it is interesting to listen back to in context. But at the same time, I think a lot of, uh, there's a tendency to look at the immediate event and attack, oh, everything's different, you know, like 9-11, but everything is based on perspective, and when you take a longer view, a lot of times the event that shocks people, like 9-11, it was a long time coming. If you had actually been paying attention, it wasn't some total mystery. And then also with the passage of time, I mean, most Americans probably wouldn't feel this way, but uh, it was, the scope of the attack was uh, was bigger in the, just the idea that you could do that to the United States than it was an actual loss of human life or, right. uh, uh, you know, of course, any human life is sacred, but, you know, if we're talking in the aggregate, mm-hmm. uh like a day it's not even a day in Syria so right or a bad day anyway um so I don't know I just uh I guess I I at once I react to things that happen but then at the same time in the long view everything is always evolving and things aren't and that's the thing because you settle back into your day to day, and people are always shocked that they settle into their day to day. But that's what human beings are made to do: is you'll settle into your day to day. You could be in a concentration camp; eventually, you'd settle into your day to day. Right? Like we're adaptable, endlessly adaptable. So I want to—I don't really have any grand, grand pronouncements to make about making art in the Trump era. Mm-hmm. Just like. Okay. Any other era, you know, and then later on you look back on it and you might even laugh. Oh, the Bush era. I mean, would that George Bush were president right now, as much as I despise that man. You know, what is he saying? So. It's funny you say that because there's a coup song, uh, Baby, Let's Make a Baby, before Bush does something crazy. And I've been thinking lately about how funny it is to look back at that song and think about how there's almost like a longing for that problem rather than the one we have. What album was that on? Uh, I cannot recall the title. It came out in like... I I was a big coup fan. 2004? And I don't think I talk about it enough, but Kill My Landlord was definitely one of my favorite albums in terms of how much time the cassette spent in my Walkman in high school Kill My Landlord that record really knocked and the second record was really good too um, and Boots is a good dude you have grown up in a few different places which I happen to know um, would you say in terms of rap that the East Coast sound has influenced you more than anything musically yeah yeah I guess uh when I started listening to hip-hop, my favorite group was Public Enemy. It was like 1989 when I was really started trying to listen to stuff on your own, where you, not just what you hear on the radio, but 
or I see a video for it, but you're like, oh, I'm going to go get a tape or whatever. So uh, first record I bought was Public Enemy record, and um, I, uh, I guess that whole era was very influential to me. Although also when I was in high school, it was really the rise of the West Coast, and I was a Tupac fan. Um, and where we were, Washington, D.C., Maryland, doesn't have a very strong, didn't have a very strong hip-hop foundation. And at the same time, it's a northeastern city in some ways. In other ways, it's very country and southern in some ways. So there was musical influence from everywhere, I think. Um, but yeah, East Coast for sure. And then also just how I came into that was as a fan. I didn't ever really think about, oh, I'm going to rap until um, oh, interesting. Until I met Vortal Mega from Cannibal Ops. I mean, I guess I thought about it, but it wasn't something that you thought, oh, you could just do it. Because I didn't know. I didn't grow up in a place where people, people listened to rap, but they didn't. No one was like, I'm going to be a rapper, like seriously like that. Right. You know. So when what? I was graduating or whatever in high school in like 94, I don't think, I don't know if I knew anyone who's legit on some like, I'm going to rap. There wasn't that type of local scene for that sort of stuff. You would more likely know people who were going to play in go-go bands professionally or maybe already did. Interesting. Um, you know, and were, were, were you know, or wanted to have a go-go band or whatever. struggle to think of there was like one or two local acts that had done something there was this group called question mark asylum no i don't remember that and um well with the internet people are oh looking God. It up right now i uh slightly embarrassed i can't remember the artist's name but you know five o'clock in the morning you're gonna be outside on the corner it's a female rapper anyway can't remember her name, but that was a dope song. Um, maybe you can edit that back. CGI back in there sounded smart. Um, but there wasn't, I didn't think about, oh, I'm going to go rap. And then when I came to New York City and knowing people like uh, Bordo Mega, this other younger dude who used to be associated with the Adams family named Chasm. Um, this girl, Brooke, introduced me to, uh, man, I saw this dude, um, I guess it was Wind and Breeze, uh, I didn't know him, I knew this girl, Brooke, and I was at her house, and he came over, he was there, I don't really remember, in Harlem, and then she was like, oh, he's a rapper, and he was like, oh, I don't really rap, and we planned down. I think it was him. Somebody named Ian. And um and then he rapped and I was like, Yo, I didn't even know you could a regular person could just do that. Just like a person you see, especially because it wasn't just like an imitation of shit that you heard on the radio or TV. It was some crazy shit. So anyway, things like that and then Vorta would always be like, You gotta rap if he was around and he was freestyling, he'd be like you gotta rap now, my little retro raps and so. Why do you think he said so that? So East Coast, uh, he was just that type of a person, very open, uh, 
very open, positive, uh, inclusive person. That's it. It's a, a better person than most. Yeah. Well, uh, so yeah, if he would never want somebody not to feel included. Hmm. Like you could have been legitimately terrible, and he'd be like, "Should go." Hmm. I feel like you don't meet people like that very often. No, you are lucky if you meet and know any of them. Well, it obviously worked out for you. Um, we just started jumping into kind of like a timeline, but uh, I want to go back to your album before we sort of move on from it too much. Um, as so yeah, no, but I did want to say East Coast, sure, and yes. Fordo learning to rap with somebody who was legitimately. A genius, and um, sort of learn how to do things like somebody that around who also encourages you. It's uh, would you encourage? Sure. Would you encourage people to rap? Have I in my personal life? Yeah. Um. Well, not to that. Have there been people I met who were already good? I wasn't good. I mean, or maybe more would say differently. But I wasn't very good. But, like, when I first met Henry Canyons, before it was Henry Canyons, well, he was much better rapper than I was when Vorto met me. Right. Um, um, Vorto was a much better and more successful rapper than I am today, so there we go. But yes, anyway, okay, so on to the next question. Um, you mentioned earlier, and we know this from previous show where Blockhead was on the show, this is going to be your second album uh, with Blockhead behind the boards, uh, mostly. You mentioned there's a couple Aesop Rock produced tracks. Um, what is it about your relationship with Blockhead do you think that works so well? Um, we are very similar people. He is very... Uh, he is very easygoing, more easygoing than I am, actually, which is, uh, takes a little bit of doing, but he is, uh, he is a very easygoing guy, um, and I think we have the same sense of humor, we're relatively close in age, um, well, I'm getting along with him, so that's cool, and I think, uh, <clears throat> It's interesting for me because it's the only times I've really done projects like that. And it can feel very restrictive on the one hand because I'd be like, oh, I hear some other type of beat. And you're like, man, I would write to something like that today. So you're like in the mood to write to something like that. But, um, but you really need to stick within this palette or whatever you guys work on and come up with together. But then that's also cool because I feel like a lot of times it can cause you to approach things differently and not always just do what might be most comfortable or whatever. Right. There's nothing wrong with working for a living. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess he makes, he, 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 is, he communicates easily. We get along. He makes dope beats. He usually has a good amount of them. And he's relatively open if you're like, 
oh, maybe try and loop this or maybe change the arrangement a little bit here or there. I try not to be like a pest and I'm definitely not, I'm not a producer. So it's never anything crazy. I'm not trying to like, but uh, anytime I do want changes or I'm like, what about this or that? It's usually, uh, he's pretty quick to make it happen. So it's, you know, it's easy. Sometimes it's hard to get things done and it's way harder than you would expect. Like, people who actually do this shit. It can be hard as hell to do shit with people. Whether you're friends or not, it can be hard. And then there's... So when there's people around where you're like, yo, we can do this and it's good. It's fun, so... Because we have worked on other stuff since then. He did some beats on... A couple beats on my last album... He did some beat. He did one beat and a remix. If you have the vinyl on the furtive movements uh, vinyl on the Hammer record, so you know, what I'm saying. It's funny that you said it's like easy because I think that um, kind of hearing that and not being familiar with the body of work, a person might think like you, you know, oh, you work with someone because it's easy to work with them. But I think that. Um, that you're actually your working relationship is like really significant. Like I mentioned earlier, I think that this record of yours is the best record I've heard. And I think Thank you. Uh, there's like a number, probably a number of reasons for that. But I think that when I listen to it, it's like, I feel like Blockhead figured you out or something or vice versa. And it's, uh, so I don't know. It's interesting. I wouldn't use like, Easy wouldn't have been the first thing that I thought of in terms of... Well, I think that's, like, somebody who actually is a musician and does this shit then knows how important it is. Like, Willie Green and I, we can work together artistically very easy. If I needed one song, I could be like, yo, I'm going to hit Willie Green because I know that it's going to be... I'll be able to communicate to him what I want. He'll be able to work within a certain... And then things can get done... And then also just logistics. Like, if it's hard to do shit, yeah. then you won't get done. Like, people, it's hard to do, if it's hard to do a record with somebody and you can never communicate with them and, you know, or you've got a producer and you can't, you know, you guys can't work out each other's schedules and it won't get done, you know? So that that's a big part of it because especially doing something with one producer, um, most rappers... Or at least, maybe I should just speak for myself. I don't want to only have, like, five beats to choose from for our five-song album. You know, like, hopefully you got... If we're going to do six songs, hopefully you can give me at least, like, 15 beats to pick from or something, you know? Um, So, also some of it is actually being able to communicate and just make things happen. Um, But obviously, the person has to be providing you with... sounds you like you have to have some sort of chemistry yeah i think the chemistry's there That's why conventional wisdom don't do nothing for me. 
Marvin Harrison past the Iron Dungeon. Quiet ones be the shooters. He who dares wins from down here with the losers. They rob that white boy, cause this ain't Hoosiers. And stay looking for cracks like jewelers. Pressing like army recruiters. Maneuver underwater, Afghani in the scuba. Four Nigerians, one computer. Travaille, middle of the day, steak for two, Peter Luger. AK 47 with the cheese, smoke Gouda. Only priorities is right now, the near future. Optimistic, early morning between my first sip of coffee, last digit on my scratch off ticket. Middle passage, I had the sour ration, the rest got scurvy and rickets. Just another missive from the edge of irrelevance. I've been on that Ralph Ellison. Nowadays, flow meticulous, ridiculous embellishments. They said it's easy money, but I just can't trust it. She said, I love you, honey, but I just can't trust it. He said, those is boys not to worry, just can't trust it. They said, come through everything lovely, just can't. Pedal to the metal. Enthusiastically pedal crack over instrumentals Only the back pedal when the dogs come knocking Any resemblance to real events is merely coincidental Motherless child handling Gretel Abandoned in the ghetto, fear not a wicked witch but a clever Geppetto Have him holding the bag, her on stage in stilettos Separating Canaanites from their shekels Nigga pennies, add up if you the neighborhood Gordon Gecko Wooden nickels with that sour crunch like a good pickle More flights than biggles, but at tonight's show he played Don Rickles Salt on your game, kosher For putting his name too low on the poster Drunk as a fish, hopping that no respect danger field After the last drink ticket argument settles Jump behind the wheel and it's pedal to the metal They said it's easy money But I just can't trust it She said I love you honey But I just can't trust it He said those is boys not to worry Just can't trust it they say come through everything lovely, just can't So yo, you wanna call my father? Yeah, you want me break my windows when you went that window? Yeah, what? Huh? What? A couple weeks ago. Yeah, oh, that's a fucking rock through the window. You don't do one thing, I told you. Stay away from her. Do what you wanna do. One thing. I think I think what you're speaking about is really important too because there's been plenty of you know groups that break up for these specific reasons and people have a hard time accepting that maybe some people don't work well together even if you really like their albums you know like the amount of like if you could just go raid engineer and producers hard drives for like half albums that were never finished because some person just says you know what Fuck this. <laughs> it would be a crazy, crazy world. Yeah. Like, sometimes I'll hear something and be like, oh, yeah, I forgot that that beat was initially the beat for this thing. And then everybody just called it. Right. And the beat ended up in some totally different place, you know, even in stuff that we've done. How um, do you feel? Okay, that's interesting to me. So as, as both a artist and a fan of music, how do you feel when people's work is released especially after they die, that was never supposed to be released for whatever reason. Like, Dilla comes to mind when I speak about this. There's, you know, there's a lot of work that people... As long as it's with context, uh, like, listen, my opinion is, like, 
I mean, if people went and literally robbed your mom's house or something, then that's a different story. But if you had some reels or something and you didn't think were the best songs, I mean, that's for posterity. That's not, you're dead. Um, there's some things you can't control. Once the art is out of your body or you did, you, if you write half a story on a, on a notepad and you're a famous writer and then you die, people are going to want to see that story, half a story. And the fact that you thought it should have been one thing, I mean, I understand that, but at the same time, I also understand that, like, Everything with art isn't... It's like the artist till you make it, till you manifest it in the world, then it belongs to people, to some extent. You know what I mean? And I, by that, I'm not talking about whether people pay for art or anything like that or what value you individually should put on your art. But it's like... Sometimes I, I did an interview recently where this... Um, it wasn't really an interview. Somebody wanted to talk to me about uh, basically like a thesis... And so at a point, they were asking me that part of their thesis hinged on this interpretation of a particular song. And I was like, you know, I... So they presented me with this idea. Uh, the song was, um, if I'm not mistaken, the song was... Uh, uh, History Will Absolve Me, the colonialism song. I'm The Man Who Would Be King, sorry. Okay, so he had this theory, and then I said, well, that wasn't actually what I was thinking about in those specific parts that you're right. talking about. And then he was like, oh, well, that's... And I'm like, but that isn't really... I think it's important to find out what I was thinking, but I don't take the view of, like, the creator of a piece of art forever can dictate its interpretation in all ways. You know, I don't know. So anyway, main point is I'm sure that there's like there's definitely takes of stuff that I would never really want people to hear, but at the same time, like whatever. Life is short. Museums are full of things people didn't necessarily want anyone to see or hear. You're lucky anybody cares. And if so long as they're paying, we live in a capitalist country and no one actually had the person who left in control of it didn't actually steal it that's a different thing like if people are stealing things from people or i paid for sessions with an engineer and they just happen to have it on their hard drive i don't think that gives you the right to just throw it out there mm -hmm. i mean it belongs to somebody i paid for it um, but anyway i don't know anything about Dillard's estate or anything like that so well it wasn't really a question about Dillard specifically i just it's a it's a good example um because i think Part of that, and I think what you're saying is really interesting, especially the notion that like once you create, once the art leaves you, your body, whatever, it's not doesn't belong to you anymore. Um, but no, you can't sit around forever. You can say what you think, and obviously, if you see somebody really misappropriating something you're doing, you have every right to speak on it. But the idea that there's like a single reading to any piece of art is kind of a little bit ridiculous to me. Uh, yeah, and it, it's funny. I was thinking about that in relation to music specifically because I think um, for me personally, when I listen to your music, like the, the meaning of the lyrics is not often apparent to me. 
And I think that that varies from person to person. Um, but, uh, you know, you sort of answered a question I was going to ask, really, which is just, like, your relationship with how people understand your music, especially when um, perhaps the ideas behind it are not very obvious. It can be strange. Sometimes uh, I think it depends on who you are. Certain people would never think about it and wouldn't really care. For myself, I do, as a writer, I do think about how things are documented, which is part of the reason why I probably I put a lyric book. That and uh, First Public Enemy, first tape I ever bought had a lyric book in there and as a kid who was trying to acclimate themselves to an environment that was unfamiliar and get into the music, it was cool to have it there and be able to like understand, deepen the understanding as I'm listening to the music, whatever. Anyway, I have a lyric booklet, some CDs, whatever. Uh, main point is that <clears throat> part of the reason is, you know, I look at, you look at, something like rap genius or whatever and like people don't even write the thing down right yeah so then it's gonna be some other which is also fine you know but um for me i definitely want it documented the way that i want it to be and i have a strong feeling about why how i wrote something a certain way and sometimes i'm shocked when i look at things and i see how like people's like something real simple will be there and it'll be like misinterpreted or something but at the same time I mean that doesn't matter or it doesn't matter at all I remember being in school and um, I was in a class at a certain point in high school so I was in really bad classes and then at a certain point in high school I had an English teacher who was like uh, everybody in the class was just copying my work so English teacher was like alright you're out of here and sent me to an advanced class because basically in that school, if you weren't in an advanced class, then you were either, then, like, the advanced classes were, like, white and Asian kids and a few black kids. The regular classes was, like, the rest of the school. And God help you if you were in, like, a special ed or remedial class, um, which is a whole nother story. Anyway, so that teacher sent me and wrote a letter that I should be in the advanced class. So then I'm in this advanced class my senior year, and the teacher gave us, um, this teacher was like a hippie, ex-hippie, and so she broke the school rules and brought in books that we weren't supposed to read or whatever. And of course, like, some of these kids are so tight-ass that they're, like, mad, like, ah, well, uh, should we report her? Because I'm like, what the fuck? This is cool, like, um, that was when I read Run, Rabbit, Run, and that was also, uh, but as a class assignment, she gave us, um, Faulkner, uh, I'm not doing a good job at this today, the naming of things, funnily enough, Faulkner, um, The Sound and the Fury, okay, okay there we go, bear with me, bear with me, everybody. So, okay, so we read The Sound and the Fury, and I'm sitting in this class, and the teacher starts a discussion about um, how the main, their, their 
housewoman, the black woman who lives with the family, it starts a discussion about the book. And I brought up how this woman, it's interesting how she treats the white kids with a lot of affection, but it's very short with her, the black children and her own children. Right. And why that is. Not necessarily a judgment or whatever. It's why it is, you know. All these people started saying, oh, no, no. You're misreading it. That's not what you mean. She just really loves that. You know, because it was like, basically, people aren't smart. So I don't really worry about the fact that, like, a lot of people aren't going to get things. And then there's things that, like, you could be smart and, I don't know, there's MF Doom lines that I listened to for, like, 15 years. Like, he has that one, um, feel like, uh, uh, feel like next to number seven on the roulette wheel or whatever, something like that. I listened to that album for a long time. One night, me and this friend, we were in the casino and he said that line and laughed. He must have just hit the the um, the zero. We were playing roulette. And then he said that line, and I never thought about it. Like um, the MF Doom line is basically, he's like, I feel like number seven on the roulette wheel. That's next to zero, next to nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I never mm-hmm. thought about that the whole time. So long as you can enjoy the rest of the song, then it's just like a, I don't know. Like, I would never want somebody to be like, that's the reason why the song is, like, the song should work even if you don't get whatever random little reference. Right. I also want to talk about your literary influences because it's obvious that you rap like a writer and write like a writer. You just drove my sails totally through the floor. It's It's all over now. I mean, it's interesting you say that. I think that uh, there are more rappers who could really take, who could really benefit from learning how to write. Um, And that there are also people who are great writers who are rappers and wouldn't say that. Or that's not something that they would, like, identify themselves as. But, I mean, being a rapper is being a storyteller. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I'm kind of interested in, like, some of your more significant literary influences and, like, how you feel, like, if they influence the way that you write. Yeah, but there are all sorts of storytellers. Like, I was just thinking the other day, I remember, like, being a kid, you would get books. I read a lot as a kid. And so it was like, you could chew through books, and we, we traveled a lot. And so sometimes I remember whatever randomly you might pick up a book, when I was young, I might pick up a book that was like some sort of airport book or something or that your mom had or something. And you're just like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, but books like the Da Vinci Code, yeah. like you read them and it's like, you could chew through that book. It's relatively entertaining. You learn almost nothing. Everything's in the right place. That's not true. They have like, there's a, Somewhat of an intellectual... It's not a Danielle Steele novel. You'll... There'll be... You learn something about the ancient church. They throw in some intrigue. There's mystery. Everything's, like, neatly wrapped up. Like, if everybody could do that, they would. You know? Although I don't think that it's any... Personally, it all is, like... Yeah, it sounded... It's, like, a waste to me. I don't really see the point. But I also don't want to pretend that, like... Anybody can write like Dan Brown. 
you know. Do you think that would be a bad thing if everyone did? Obviously, it would be terrible. <laughs> it's, books are bad, but I'm just saying, at the same... And they're not bad, but it's just like, it's fine that it exists, but it's not... It's not doing anything, but I also don't want to downplay it like, oh, I could, you know, I could easily go out there and do that. I don't know. Like, do I think everybody could make a 21 Savage album if they got those same Metro booming beats? Probably not. I don't know. Well, that's a whole nother can of worms. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't, that's fine. Hold on, what was the question? It was um, The question was actually more about uh, your literary influences. Okay, so, like... And uh, particularly as, the ones that make you want to be... Like, that would influence the way you write. Um, I think uh, I thought about it a lot because of the nature of the album before this one. Um, Today I Wrote Nothing. Yeah, it was connected a lot to that idea. Uh, a lot. Uh, James Baldwin... Since probably around the age of nine, uh, big influence of mine. I think that uh, Flannery O'Connor, Cormac McCarthy, um, uh, Chinua Achebe, Dambuzo Marachera. Um, I really liked Stephen King as his early work, especially when I was a kid, and I, I have to give some credit there. Um, Conrad, one of my mother's favorites, and uh, she insisted we cultivate a, an appreciation for him and like Charles Dickens. Um, I also I, I, I was almost about to leave out my fellow Zimbabwean, uh, Doris Lessing. Um, with a lesser nod to oh and then oh man Tony Morrison um, I'm forgetting people man Neil Gaiman his Sandman series pretty big for me personally um, I like Richard Price a lot I was about to forget uh, I don't know. There's, there's, there's probably a bunch more people. Uh, Ralph Ellison, I like The Invisible Man. The rest of it, not as much. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I know I'm forgetting some people. I like David Foster Wallace's nonfiction. I can't really get into. His fiction, uh, although I appreciate its existence. Um, I don't know. I've, I've forgotten a million people, but that will just have to go. I'm trying to cultivate an appreciation for Salman Rushdie. Rushdie, I read his books and I get halfway through. But I think that they're well written. I don't know what the problem is, really. That's interesting. Yeah. That's. I mean, I find that concept interesting. The idea of sort of trying to force yourself to appreciate something because it's acclaimed or it's important or whatever. 
I feel that way about my mom really insisted on reading Dostoevsky, and I kind of feel that way. Russian literature is not for me, but it is important and great, and I'm glad I read the books that I read, but I never, ever even thought of reading one of them again. Never once. And it's weird, because I've read other things that were really, really long that weren't like that, which doesn't mean it's better or not. I like a lot of nonfiction stuff. There was this book called Bobby Yard that I read when I was a kid. Do you know what that is? No. It's like a Holocaust site in the Ukraine. Where first the Germans killed everyone, then partisans killed everyone, then the Soviets killed everyone. It's a really lurid book. I read that book and it uh, during a winter in Jamaica when I was a kid. I remember reading it and Bobby Yard at the same time, which seems crazy now that I think about it. You'd read a really scary. Mm-hmm. So I'd be reading it, and then you get to the part that's too scary. So you put it down and walk outside, and it's Jamaica, so it's like sunny and hot, and you could be like, "All right, I'm okay. I'm okay." Um, although you could not read that book when it was getting dark because it got dark for real. <laughs> it got got so dark. Uh, anyway, so yeah, those are my literary influences that I'm able to think of. At this exact brief and fleeting moment in time. We won't judge you on your reading list. Called himself Ishmael when he flipped the fish scale. Slip wide open, pull out the entrails. Stumbled out, dog stairwell like two ounces. Blood filling his jays outside the river houses. Twisting in the south, my hand coiled double helix through the looking glass. Separating body from the spirit like the owl. Spit the veil from the peak of my speech to the belly of a whale. Sip the grail, First above us is covered, dive till whole shutters. No rudder, amber grease, whale blubber. The sea is a beast, land lovers free for wives' mothers. Bleach bones thrown on rocky beach, beset by bugs. The science of the self, form for the three kings Cork welts, Orion's belt, still sad Like a gas in a trap house, supply and bag Speed up on last eight, feeling fatalistic Blood in the water, you dead on this corner Blood in the water, you dead on the corner Blood in the water, you dead on this corner Blood in the water, you dead on the corner Kaleidoscopic, black agnostic What my burial plot on Craigslist Rock bottom discount Extinction agenda, supreme rallies and basely Black hoodies, black Tim's, older cars and crazy Peonies and daisies, cocaine 80s Cop killer queen, she raised me from the dregs Dead lectures on a ship named Jesus Sinking faster, it's all the trap Atlantic, Florida, Hornet, Tabernacle off the coast of Formosa, send them to the ocean floor, no Mia Copa. Sent boys to war, deep water, she seemed gorgeous. Mapping compass, gat and cutlass. Both black is dungeon, smoke crack punches. Leviathan looms, a hundred harpoons plunging. The loom winds its way, the days of judgment. Your doom finds you lying awake in lunges. Blood in the water, you dead on this corner. Blood in the water, you dead on the corner. Blood in the water, you dead on this corner. Blood in the water, you dead on the corner. Blood in the water, you dead on this corner. Blood in the water, you dead on the corner. Blood in the water, you dead on this corner. Blood in the water, you dead on the corner.
I did want to ask you, this is just breaking from that conversation. Um, on your album, you have a track, Police Came to My Show Tonight, and I wanted to kind of ask about the story behind that. Okay, so I played a show. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I guess I might as well say the place. Who knows if I'll ever go back there. The show did not do particularly well. Um, I played a show in Missoula, Montana. Uh, promoter was actually super cool. Everybody there was actually very cool. And um, they had an incredible local record store. Uh, they were also really cool to us. So, you probably don't remember the name. Nah, I just want to make sure, like, uh, yeah, Missoula yeah. was good peoples as far as I was concerned. But anyway, we got there for this show. Um, it was sparsely attended, is how I put it. Um, and as soon as we came in, I see these two guys, and I'm just like, these dudes are cops. <laughs> And so as soon as we get into the backstage, they had a backstage. These were good good accommodations, great venue. Um, I apologize, nobody came out. Anyway, we're backstage. I say to Prem and Mo, oh, you saw those guys? They look like cops. Everybody's like, Meh. The promoter comes back there and she's from the town and everything. I'm like, those guys out front look like cops. No, they're not cops. You're paranoid, you know. Everyone's gaslighting She was you. very cool. Very cool woman. But you cannot let white people tell you anything about the cops. Unless they've already proven to you that they actually know more than you. So, I, you know, I'm like, okay, whatever. But I know that that's what it is. So, I'm sitting there. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, then, the, it's going later and later. She comes back and she says, uh, oh, you can go on a little bit later if you want. And I'm just kind of waiting because I'm like, what are these guys here for? They're still there. I'm just like, there's no way these guys came here to see this show. Eventually, I go out there, start performing. There's very few people there. I rock my little set. Actually, had a great set. And... They were just sitting in the back the whole time with their iPads and doing whatever, whatever. And as soon as the show was over, they dipped out. Uh, and before I had gone on, apparently they had started getting so mad about how long it was taking that they went to the person working the box office at the venue and started harassing them, wanting to see the set list times, refusing. He offered to give the money back. They refused to take it, said they were there to see Billy Woods, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> So they start telling me this. I'm like, I told you motherfuckers that that was the case. And then I'm freaked the fuck out because I'm like, I've never been here. There's absolutely no reason for anybody in Montana to be like surveying my... I mean, there was, if there was more than nine people at the show, I did not see them. And that's including the, the law officers. Um, so it was just a very, very bizarre experience. Um, as part of an interesting tour. Kafka could write a good story about it. Yeah, yeah. Kafka probably would have written a a good story. As it was, I got that song done. But so they left. I mean, the song is great. I like the story too, even though it's obviously terrifying. And they left and didn't say anything to you. They just left. 
They like as soon as like as soon as the, the minute I had said my last lyric, they darted out. Like I don't know what information they collected, but they must either they had. I mean, either they had been told that they had to stay there till I was done, and they were like, "Oh my God, let me escape from this hellhole," which is, I assume. Or the other option was like they needed to completely transcribe every lyric or capture and then uh, <laughs> add it to some sort of obscenity case in Missouri. I do not know, man. I, I I assume it was some sort of case of mistaken identity, but either way, it was it was interesting. Well, I'm glad that you're here and nothing happened. Um, makes yeah, it a good story. You know, you said, yet nothing happened yet. Or did it? Hey, now. Um, yeah, so we're, we're sort of uh, nearing the end of the show. Um, we're obviously going to finish out the show with a song. You um, should edit out everything I said. Ask me some other questions I can answer more. I'm not going to edit out everything you said. Yeah, ask um, me some different questions. I'll, I'll give more cohesive answers. These are great answers. What kind of questions do you want me to ask? I'm just, I'm ready. Um, well, uh, we will talk about where people can find your album once it's ready and the pre-order information. Um, are you working on any music, uh, with Elusive for another Arm & Hammer record? Yes, we have an Arm & Hammer record in the works. It's going to be really good. Um, a lot of it is done. It's totally different from this album. Do you find, when we were talking earlier about your relationship with producers, um, and you were talking about how it can be restrictive sometimes to work with one producer, do you find, like, any sort of limitations or struggles working with another rapper? Uh, in general, or... I guess, like, artistically, specifically. Are we talking about Elucid or people in general? Uh, I think both would be interesting. No, Elucid is very, very good at rapping. So your number one job is to try to be very, very good. Other than that, I guess that he communicates in an odd fashion and at times of his place in choosing. But other than that, it's pretty painless. Um, I feel like uh, I can make music with the very... We have a good rapport. Um, people in general... Uh, it's hard to say, man. Sometimes it seems like, yeah, but I guess, again, that goes to, it's hard to say. Sometimes it seems like, it seems like, yeah, and maybe there are people who feel like it's hard to do things with me. I can't really say, but um, it can be. Hmm. Interesting. It can go either way. Sometimes it's really easy, and other times you're like, this shit is never going to happen. Um some people make it real. Some people make it real easy. Some people you. It's like uh, when Aesop says he's gonna do a verse, like the shit around. Just it's like once the top whatever is agreed to at the beat, it's just like. Nine a.m. next day, it's in your inbox. I mean, maybe not the next day, but it's just like the verse is delivered in a professionally packaged format, and. It's dope, and there's not a lot of, like, what's up, what's up, what's up with that? And um, and then there's other people who you need to sometimes 
you need to work together more times to get that chemistry. I don't know. Each case is its own case. It definitely can be difficult. Um, I guess part of the reason I was asking is because... It's and like, I think it also at what stage of your career, you know, uh, and I don't know what it's like for people doing stuff now. At an earlier stage of my career, a lot of times you were around a lot of other rappers in a studio. Right. Environment where people wanted to be. You know, uh, people knew you were a studio. At a studio, people are showing up. People want to be involved. Like, now it's more like people can do things at their own houses. They can do things on their own. And um, people are older, so they have their own responsibilities and timelines. People aren't just meeting up to just smoke a hundred blunts in a room anymore. <laughs> Thank the Lord for that. I mean, I was going to say that's too bad, but to each their own. Yeah, I mean, and part of the reason I was asking is because, you know, you're sort of at a stage in your career where um, people have often figured out if they're going to be sort of making music on their own or with someone else. Um, and it's interesting to see, like, sort of tandem releases of your projects, your Arm & Hammer projects, and then your solo work. Um, yeah, it's been a while for Arm & Hammer record. I mean, even, like, Furtive Movements is, like, I think it's a dope record, but it's an EP, and... There's a couple remixes on there. There's only like five new songs. And so, you know, it's been a while. This one is going to be, it's going to be intense. Um, we have to go now. Um, I want to make sure that people know how they can pre-order the album online, which is where people generally buy music, especially up here in Canada. Um, well, you can definitely go to backwardstudios.com. Uh, that's B-A-C-K-W-O-O-D-Z-S-T-U-D-I-O-Z dot com. Um, I know there'll be a band camp. If you Google Billy Woods Known Unknowns, you should be able to do it. UndergroundHipHop.com in the U.S. is usually pretty good to me. Uh, the Fifth Element has been good to me before um, in Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis. Um, Amoeba in on in the bay it's always good to me uh you know um itunes will be on itunes we're gonna have double vinyl available with some really cool art we have some cds with the lyric booklet and yeah any support is always appreciated great well thanks for being on the show uh we're gonna end the show with a song and um good luck with your travels thank you thanks for having me on I know Kills are scared to be here. Where you at, man? <laughs> I'm going to see you soon. Plug said he's taking a break. I couldn't keep a straight face till he explained how they came for the safe. I was like, wait, wait, wait. I wake up and smoke weed. I wake up and smoke weed. I'm how come we don't have nice things? Put the chopper to Ethiopia last king. That's what this thing of ours bring. Got Addis Ababa jumping like the bada bing. I wake up and smoke weed. I wake up and smoke weed. Put my apartment on the curb, worse for the wear And left the pharaoh's curse for whoever next there Lost the verse in the move, had to write it again Tried to change things up and came to the same small end I wake up and smoke 
wake up and smoke weed Last thing to go was that old cathode ray too Fucking huge was this shit when it was new Chinatown delivery cubes, peep show boots Someone kicked the screen in that same afternoon I wake up and smoke weed I wake up and smoke weed Had the talent, missed your shot Hard one to swallow, but it can't be what it's not No intricate plot needed to put you in a box Whether pacing or laid out front the congregation Anyone could get knocked I wake up and smoke weed I wake up and smoke weed Under a cheese to consider one of the greats I'm from the era of Reggie Miller Ace Nothing to be proud of, but I still am Truth be told, I remember every single gram Wrote his epitaph on the back of the master plan Just in case, even though he know the place like the back of his hand The trees look so good, but the price is so heavy I don't know, I'd rather talk to your blog first But Negroes is petty, so here we go